0: The following is a co-production of Belmont Council on Aging
1: and the Belmont Media Center. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Talking News, stories from the Belmont Citizen Herald, read by volunteers from the Beach Street Center. This week, our readers are Max, Thomas, and Claire, reporting on news and events in Belmont. And now, on with the show, Max.
0: Thank you, Bob. First peak at fiscal year 22 budget, public meeting tomorrow, December uh, December 9th, by Franklin B. Tucker. John Phelan expresses the obvious in his opening remarks when presenting this coming year's school budget on Monday, November 23rd. We look towards a very unique year in budgeting in a very unique year in our time, said Belmont school superintendent as the town and school provided the public its first peak at the fiscal year 2022 budgets. The unique year Phelan mentioned was seen during a topsy-turvy nine months in which Belmont's finances took a beating and where the town budget was revised twice and likely a third time as COVID-19 played havoc with fiscal assumptions. During this upheaval, the fiscal year 22 budget was being cobbled together. At first glance, a growing degree of normalcy has returned to budgets. Expenses such as overtime and road repair funding are back, while the school district is seeking to add educators, even as overall enrollment has declined by 250 students. But the documents Phelan and town administrator Patrice Garvin presented before a mega joint meeting of the Select Board Financial Task Force and the School Warrant and Capital Budget Committees are unique insofar as they are contingent on voters passing a multi-million dollar prop two and a half override at this April's town election. Just how big is the overrides price tag? That figure remains up in the air. What is known as, as currently calculated, the all town 22 budget is approximately $8.1 million in the red. It will be an especially unique new year as the town and schools will present sometime early in the new year a version of the fiscal 22 budget if the override fails at the ballot box. Quote, so we will be preparing two budgets this year, said Phelan, to allow the public to see the impact on services and staffing with and without override funds. For town administrator Patrice Garvin, while, quote, we are inundated every day with what is horrible about 2020, she said there are reasons to see the past year in a positive note. Town services were continued to be delivered while measures were taken to soften the blow from revenue losses, including hiring freeze and maximizing turnbacks from school and town departments to build up the town's free cash account. Due to its conservative approach to the operating budget, reaching out for grants and awards, including $2.1 million it received from the federal government's CARES Act, and seeking two new sources of revenue, the McLean development and two marijuana host community agreements. The town retained its top-ranked AAA credit rating as it approached developing the coming budget. What is known at this early stage of the budget process is the combined town-school budget, excluding the enterprise funds of $6.9 million, is being set at $144.5 million, a 3.8% increase from the pre-pandemic Fiscal 21 budget. The break budget breakdown is as follows. Town 43.5 million, schools 67.6 million, fixed costs 31.4 million, capital budget 2 million. Due to the wild fiscal year the town underwent in 2020, the percentage change between the 21 and 22 budgets are significantly different. If compared with the original fiscal year 2021, the pre-pandemic budget from March 2020, The fiscal year 22 budget has increased by 3.8%, which is in line with annual budget growth over the past decade. Substitute the original 21 financials with the COVID-19 budget, in which town and schools stripped out $7 million in in expense savings, the increase jumps to 9.2%. The schools will be budgeting to a model created by the Financial Task Force, which has been working for eight months with the district and the Warrant Committee On the assumptions of anticipated expenses. At the end of the day, the preliminary fiscal 22 is swimming in the red by 8.1 million or about two-thirds as large as the 12.5 million in override funds the select board is seeking from April's town election. The board said the override amount will be before voters in the spring and will be reduced sometime in the next two months. Garvin said the restored state revenue, which has yet to arrive from the state is slated to go into fiscal year 2023 free cash account. And every penny of funding is needed as the town has yet to find an answer to the bane of Belmont's financial existence, a persistent structural deficit. With Belmont's real estate classification more than 90% residential and new growth limited due to lack of open space, the quote, town of homes, unquote, is hamstrung by the four decade old Proposition 2.5 that places a 2.5% ceiling on total property taxes annually, which makes up 77% of tax receipts, as well as the 2.5% limit on property tax increases. And now over to Thomas.
2: Thank you, Max. The Home Front Why Building Permits in Belmont Matter by John Colas. Living in the Commonwealth is expensive, and at times the old joke, Taxachusetts, feels all too real. There seems to be a fee for everything, and renovating your home in Belmont is no exception. As we learn from belmontma.gov, quote, building an addition, adding a structure of any kind, enlarging your driveway, or adding a dormer are just a few instances where a permit is required, end quote. The building permit fees start at $15 per thousand dollars of estimated construction costs and additional inspections for plumbing, gas and occupancy with associated fees may also be required. Whether it is time for a bathroom renovation or you need an office to work from home, you're going to spend money and invest further in your Belmont home. Many homeowners wonder why they should pay the town for what seems like permission to work on their own home. What does a building permit do? The building permit is there for the homeowner's protection, explains Tom Gatsunis, continuing. It ensures that the work is done safely and according to code. By code, we mean electrical, plumbing, fire, and structural integrity, end quote. Further, it ensures that the contractors doing the work are licensed, insured, and reputable. It also seeks to ensure that the workers themselves are protected and working in safe conditions. Katsunis was the Belmont Town Engineer from 1988 to 2004, after which he became the Public Safety Commissioner for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. In that role, Kitsunas was responsible for building inspections and code enforcement for all of Massachusetts. Kitsunas is currently the owner's project manager at CHA, overseeing construction of the new Belmont High School. Kitsunas was succeeded in Belmont by Glenn Clancy. Clancy has worked for the town of Belmont for 35 years. As the director of community development, he is also the Town Engineer, Building Inspector, and Zoning Enforcement Officer. Clancy and his team are certified building professionals, which means they have met the Commonwealth's criteria for inspectors. Building permits are a matter of public safety, says Clancy. He goes on, the permitting process verifies the contractor is properly licensed. The process provides up front review and back-end protection. This means that every licensed contractor in the Commonwealth is paid for two licenses. First, their construction supervisor license, and second, their home improvement contractor license. The permitting process makes sure the person doing the work on your house has both licenses. What many people may not know is that the monies collected by the Commonwealth for the home improvement contractor license fee goes into a dispute resolution fund. This fund is reserved for the protection of homeowners. Should a dispute arise or a contractor leave you with a half-finished kitchen, this is the fund from which one would receive restitution. However, if a permit was not pulled, the homeowner does not have access to the fund and forfeits their opportunity for restitution. The consequences of unpermitted work can be devastating. For example, in the case of a fire, flood, structural damage, or personal injury, an insurance company does not have to pay out on a claim where unpermitted work was done. Upon sale of the property, the lending institution's appraisers will review the permit records for the property. Where renovations have evidently been done without a permit, Risk to the lending institution is created, and loans are often denied. Not pulling a permit is also a form of cheating on your taxes, as the assessed value of a property accounts for home improvements, which are documented through the permitting process. More importantly, quote, building permits are the law. They ensure that all construction in Belmont conforms to zoning regulations and local ordinances, said Gatsunas, Belmont's permitting process and its building inspectors provide an essential service to the Town of Homes. While every line item seems expensive during a renovation, one should consider the building permit an essential item with a very high return on investment. And now over to Claire.
3: Thank you, Thomas. Belmont Light announces new efficiency program Belmont Light recently announced Clean Comfort, a new program to promote highly efficient heating and cooling systems for Belmont homes. Clean Comfort is a new educational and marketing program to connect customers interested in installing energy efficient air source heat pumps with expert research, guidance, throughout the installation process and available rebates on the emerging technology. Air source heat pumps are ducted or ductless, sometimes referred to as mini splits, systems that are able to heat and cool homes more efficiently than oil and other systems by moving heat around rather than converting fuel into heat energy. According to the Northeast Energy Efficiency Partnerships, homeowners can save up to $948 per year when replacing an existing oil system with an air source heat pump. Belmont Light partnered with energy consulting firm Abode Energy Management of Concord to manage the clean comfort program Abode will provide a dedicated and knowledgeable heat pump specialist who will be available to talk directly with Belmont Light customers when they call 339-707-0918 or set up an appointment. Because the systems are highly customizable, it can be difficult to compare quotes and system designs, said Travis Estes. Chief Operating Officer of ABODE. The heat pump specialist will help Belmont Light customers navigate the entire process and ensure installations are completed with the utmost quality at a fair price. In addition to the pre-installation assistance, ABODE will also work with heat pump installation contractors to review plans and ensure that systems are being installed in the most beneficial manner for customers as well as performing quality assurance checks after installation is complete and aiding the customer in the rebate process. Belmont Light envisions the Clean Comfort Program as a follow up to the highly successful HeatSmart Belmont campaign, which resulted in the installation of over 40 new ASHP systems in Belmont homes in 2019. Air source heat pumps play an integral role in our plan to help the town of Belmont reduce its carbon emissions, said Craig Spinali, Belmont Light General Manager. The Clean Comfort Program gives us an incredibly useful way to move forward toward those goals, while also being able to offer cost savings and increased comfort to our customers. Rebates between $650 and $2,000 dollars, depending on the system size, are currently available for Belmont Light customers who install air source heat pumps in their homes. With additional rebates of up to $1,500 available for homeowners who completely replace fossil fuel systems with heat pumps. Now over to Max.
0: Thank you, Claire. Belmont High marching band comes together after a long hiatus by Sonia Chen. Student musicians gathered at a distance on the Belmont High School football field recently for the first time in nearly a year. They began to warm up all at once, woodwind, string, percussion and brass sections clashing in a cacophony of notes and melodies. <clears throat> it was music to BHS marching band director, Alison Lacasse's ears. It took everyone's stressometer and brought it down, LaCasse said. It was one of the first days this school year when my job felt like a job. The marching marauders gathered for three in-person practices in November after a long hiatus. The COVID-19 pandemic has not silenced the band, which is ready to bring live music back to Belmont with revised health protocols and a new approach to performances. The marching band typically convenes before school starts for a week of band camp, practices together through November and performs at varsity football games, then gets back together in March to prepare for the town's Memorial Day parade. When the state shut down schools last March due to the pandemic, the Marauders season abruptly ended with no clear path to a reunion. It was jarring at first, said Anya Epstein, a BHS junior and one of the band's drumline captains, it was a long waiting process. At the beginning of the school year, band camp returned in a virtual format. It was shorter than in normal years, a few hour long meetings, as opposed to five days of marching, but students were thrilled to gather remotely as a band. Marching band is such a family, and it was just so comforting to see them all together again, Epstein said. The Department of Elementary and Secondary Education released guidance for performing arts in mid-autumn, including that students must stand at least 10 feet apart and face the same direction while playing to reduce aerosol spray. Hand sanitizer, disinfectant spray, and paper towels have become standard equipment for the marching marauders. Brass players now empty their condensation valves or spit valves, as Lacasse affectionately termed them, onto absorbent puppy pads instead of the stadium turf. Everything is a few steps added on than what we're used to and the students are doing fabulously, Lacasse said. They're very aware of keeping each other safe and it's on the forefront of everyone's mind. I'm really proud of them. The marching marauders will break from practices until March when they hope to prepare for Belmont's Memorial Day Parade. I'm ready to do it, said Epstein, who is undaunted by the band's (coughs) reduced practice time this season. In just nine hours, we had a full-fledged, fully played-out show, and it sounded amazing. The Marauders aren't just planning to play typical field performances this year. LaCasse said she hopes the band can find local events to perform at in the spring to uplift the community with music. We're kind of considering ourselves the community of Belmont's pep band, LaCasse said not just cheering for the team when they score touchdowns, but lifting everybody's spirits up in a year and at a time when pe- where people's spirits are especially low. Now over to Thomas.
2: Thank you, Max. The following is an opinion piece and does not represent the opinions of the Belmont Citizen Herald or Belmont Community Media. Stop the Slide, Belmont by Paul Roberts. Here is an inconvenient truth for you. Belmont is one of the wealthiest communities in the Bay State, but you wouldn't know that from how the town funds its public schools, how we invest or don't invest in our children. Despite a median household income in town, $120,000, that is in the top quarter of communities statewide and $40,000 higher than the state average, our public schools are funded in the bottom sixth of Bay State communities. To put a dollar figure to that, Belmont spends $2,300 less per student each year compared with towns like Westboro that are merely average in the 50th percentile in per pupil funding statewide. Don't even ask about per pupil funding levels in our peer communities like Lexington and Wellesley. You don't want to know. If you add that $2,300 figure up, it is roughly $10 million in funds each school year that could be used to educate Belmont's 4,000 odd K through 12 students, but that is missing from our budgeting. That's $10 million in support that Westboro students benefit from that Belmont students do not. Draw that gap out over time and $10 million per year balloons to $100 million or more in missing investment In our public schools and by extension in our children's education. As with many things in life, you can get away with taking shortcuts and putting off needed investments right up to the point in which you can't. Ignoring glaring urgent problems works perfectly until the point at which it stops working entirely. That's where Belmont is now. Our wake-up call was the novel coronavirus COVID-19. For Belmont, a town operating, quote, on the cheap, the virus exposed a wide range of problems created by our enforced penury. To point out just one, we entered the pandemic with 60 fewer full-time teachers than districts like Winchester, Beverly, and Woburn with nearly identical student populations. Once COVID took hold, that teacher shortage greatly complicated the school's efforts to enact low-density hybrid learning in the fall when the virus prevalence in town was at an ebb. Hampered on every side by a lack of resources, our public schools and the BPS administration did their level best to deliver education to our students while also protecting the health of students and faculty. Still. Hundreds of families opted to pull their children from our schools as anger and frustration grew over remote-only education and the apparent lack of better options. COVID will pass. However, absent a new commitment by Belmont to our public schools, I fear the problems facing our district will intensify rather than fade there is a real risk that Belmont's public school system could soon enter something like a death spiral. Imagine a failed override come April, or one that is inadequate to address the underlying needs of our public schools. Families in town would see school services further erode, course offerings cut, swollen class sizes. In such a situation, community support for the schools would collapse. Those who could afford to would pull their children from the districts. Absent the investment and support of a broad swath of families, there will be less urgency to address funding shortfalls or problems like class size, infrastructure, and teacher hiring and retention. Our public schools will go from being the pride of Belmont to a last resort for those families in town who can't afford better. The time to halt that slide and that spiral is right now. Unfortunately, as our town's leaders contemplate a prop two and a half override in the new year to address a structural budget deficit, I see little evidence that members of the Select Board, Warrant Committee, or Financial Task Force fully grasp the scope of the challenges facing the public schools. In fact, Their current plans for increased school funding in the event of a successful Proposition 2.5 override will do little to address years of underfunding and neglect. Public declarations from the Warrant Committee and our school superintendent suggest that the Belmont's public schools will receive only $400,000 in additional funding should a Proposition 2.5 override pass in April and faced draconian cuts to staff and services should it fail. In the best case scenario, that $400,000 translates into a paltry $100 per student in net new funding each year. That figure is better than nothing, I suppose, but barely, especially when held up against the massive $2,300 gap in per pupil spending that separates Belmont from the average Bay State School District. Fortunately, we don't have to stand for this. Our select board members, the school committee, and our school administration answer to us, the taxpayers and the voters. I ask you to join me in writing to your local town meeting members, the select board, and the members of the Warrant Committee and Financial Task Force. Urge them to reevaluate both the amount of the intended override and how override funds will be allocated between the town and the public schools. Today more than ever, Belmont must make a firm commitment to its public schools. Most immediately, we must address the core issue of underfunding the district, which robs our students of the education they deserve. I challenge our select board, warrant committee and school committee to commit, within 10 years, to a plan to close the $2,300 per pupil spending gap that keeps us in the basement of Bay State communities. Our town has never prided itself on being average, but when it comes to spending on our kids and their education, being average is a great place for us to start. And now back to Claire.
3: Thank you, Thomas. McLean Hospital zoning approved. On September 23rd, Belmont Town meeting members passed the McLean Zone 3 overlay bylaw by a margin of 256 to five. This action will enable Northland Residential to move forward with the development of a 150 unit mixed use residential community to be known as the Residence at Belmont. Two words. Groundbreaking to start construction of the development is anticipated for the fall of 2021. The town meeting member vote concluded 20 months of community and developer collaboration on the development of reuse plan for zone three, a 13 and a half acre site located on the McLean Hospital campus in Belmont. The parcel originally conceived and permitted as a 490 unit continuing care retirement community in 2004 was never developed and market interest for this scale of retirement community had waned. Building on McLean Hospital's previous successful partnership with Northland Residential in developing the Woodlands at Belmont Hill, Michelle Gorgione, McLean Hospital's Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, turned to Jack Dolly, President and CEO of Northland, to approach the town for consideration of a revised development program of market rate, senior, affordable and family oriented for sale and for rent housing. This necessitated extensive discussion with key Belmont stakeholder groups led by the planning board, the Affordable Housing Trust and Energy and Sustainability Committees neighboring groups, town staff, administration, and the select board. Wednesday night's overwhelming support demonstrates the commitment of Northland Residential and the town to achieve an outcome that balances the interest of the community and the developer, said Dolly. We are proud of the process and outcome achieved. Northland Residential and its McLean design team will commence preparation of the civil, architectural and landscape design documents necessary for design and site plan approval. A four to six month public hearing permit application review period will commence in February with formal project permit expected to begin in mid 2021. Now here's Max.
0: Thank you, Claire. And now an excerpt from a short story by Charisse the Story is called Man Talk and was made into an ebook because it was too long to be published in a magazine or paper in its entirety. The story is about two filmmakers named David and Paul with their masculinity and friendship and fitting into their ethnic community. By the time he had gotten the hang of using the camera, it basically became one of his appendages. And as a funny looking appendage would, It painted him a shocking color from everyone else after school let out, he would take to some of the sadder sections of West McFadden Avenue, searching for scraps of inspiration. One day he stood behind a laundromat filming an old man making and selling balloon animals across the street. He zoomed in and out, focusing his lens on his wrinkled fingers twisting plastic dogs and hats and swords into existence taking close-ups of children, watching him intently. Hey, Spielberg, a voice darkened by early manhood broke his creative trance. He turned around and saw the Manukian goons as David and Paul called them because they went to Manukian, a private pre-K through 12 institution on the other side of the town where the hardcore circle folks whose parents had money went. Paul had gone there before he transferred to public school where he met David in third grade after it became clear to his mother and father that Manoukian's shoebox environment left him gasping for breath. The students there wore plaid uniforms, studied in classrooms with posters of Mount Ararat on every wall and learned dulce et decorum est pro patria mori along with their times tables. Girls were expected to be white lace and the boys were trained to be testosterone meteor showers, as the three that stood before him definitely were. The hulking, excessively hairy leader of the group, Sarkis, loomed over David and his henchmen, Kyle and Tigran, stood on either side of the frightened boy. I, I, I'm not Spielberg, he stammered, unable to think of anything better to say. I, 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 Kyle mocked the boys, tortured stutter to the delight of his two friends. What kind of camera did Spielberg use anyway, Tigran asked with feigned interest that David's sarcasm detector was too faulty to pick up. Depends, David lit up. He loved it when people asked him questions about the exact make and models of cameras used to make famous films, about which he knew an ungodly amount. I think E.T. was filmed with, before he could tell Tigran the answer, David felt the hard cushion of the concrete wall hit his shoulders and back. The pain took a few seconds to really release its full power, and a groan formed at the back of his throat, but he wouldn't dare let it loose in front of Sarkis and his small mafia, not even after each boy had taken a turn kicking him and left the area shouting insults that are popular with adolescent boys. Pain, his father once told him, was weakness leaving the body, and for him that was enough. It seemed like he was doomed to be forever ostracized for some typo in his being that he couldn't identify and pushed around with having it in him to push back. He confided this in Paul later or during his yearly vacation at Paul's summer house on Huntington Beach. They used to mess with me all the time when we were little. If I were, you that with, if I were with you that day, I would have kicked their teeth in, Paul said, puffing out his bare chest and slamming his foot into the sand. Really? David asked as he fiddled with the lighter he was using to start a fire for Paul's charcoal grill. No, no, not really, Paul sighed and sounding defeated. His chest deflated back to its normal skinny state and he scratched his chin where a tiny beard was germinating. Now back to Thomas.
2: Thank you, Max. Christmas is in the air by Ken Crilla of the Belmont Lions Club. The trees were set to arrive on November 28th and the fragrance of Canadian balsam firs will once again scent the center. In case you weren't aware, this weekend began the 63rd year of Belmont Lions' largest annual fundraiser, Christmas tree and wreath sales. However, we've never had to deal with these unprecedented times before so your continued support and understanding is greatly appreciated. We are following all state and local required protocols and going above and beyond in many instances. All workers, volunteers, as well as customers are required to wear masks. Some of the changes for 2020, masks are required. Customers are encouraged to come alone due to limited crowd volume. No indoor or bathroom access for customers. All wreaths will be sold outdoors. Pets are not allowed this year. Hours have changed and are subject to changing frequently due to many circumstances. Check the website at (laughs) http colon forward slash forward slash belmontlions.org. But with these mandated changes, The Belmont Lions have become warriors in the technology age, too. We are introducing a new touchless payment method, and now credit cards will also be accepted. You can even add to the tip jar through the credit card, too. This year's beneficiary for your generous tips is the Cotting School, a nonprofit school for children with special needs. Our goal is to get your family the perfect tree but also want you to be safe as possible. The Belmont Lions have taken many steps and have simplified the process to reduce the time for each customer. Ours are very different this year, so as mentioned, please check the website for updates. This is still the Belmont Lions' largest fundraiser of the year, and we surely appreciate your support and generosity. As a club, we have dedicated hundreds of hours to learning safety requirements and hundreds more implementing them for our community's safety. Our club is ready to be safe and we hope you will be too. The club will continue to fundraise with enormous care. We need you, our loyal customers, to continue to help us raise funds. As always, these funds are used to benefit the community. We look forward to seeing the families from all around our region that have made buying a tree and supporting the Belmont Lions a tradition. And now back to Claire.
3: Thank you, Thomas. Earning the rank of Eagle Scout by Joanna K. Zuvallis. Belmont High Senior Megan Horling was one of the first females to join troop 304G two years ago, and she is on her way to becoming one of the first females to earn the rank of Eagle Scout. In order to earn this rank, a scout must work on a project to help solve a problem in their community. Horling's project will help face masks fit better and make them more comfortable to wear for students and staff of Belmont Public Schools. She created the ear saver, an acrylic band of hooks that help pull the ear loops of a mask to the back of the head, taking the strain off of the ears as well as pulling the mask closer to the face, making it more comfortable and close any ear gaps. I am super fortunate my family has a Glowforge laser cutter. The access to this tool enabled me to design a project that could be carried out with social distancing said Horling. After she produces them, she has a network of volunteers from her troop who weed them, which means to peel off the protective tape and deliver them to her and other volunteers, I am so grateful for everyone's help and support this would have been much too big of a project to do on my own. It actually takes much longer to remove the tape than it takes to make them. I am thankful that I had a lot of help with that," said Hoorling. Hoorling has worked more than 150 hours with volunteers from Troop 304 to make the 5,236 erasers. They will be delivered to all the Belmont Public Schools this week. The materials cost $500. All excess funds raised will be donated to Belmont Public Schools. Troop 304G, Scoutmaster Art Kinzinger, said projects of the inaugural class of potential female Eagle Scouts will be reviewed between October 1st and January 31st, 2021. There will be a celebration to recognize the historic achievement of this class on Scouting's anniversary. Now, back to Bob.
1: We hope you enjoyed this week's Talking News. You can listen and watch Talking News on Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. on Channel 9 on Comcast and Channel 29 on Verizon. You can also listen to the Talking News anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on iTunes or at belmontmedia.org forward slash podcasts. Tune in next
3: week. I'm Bob Fellerman.